Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Thursday evening here in the DMV. Hope everyone is doing well. Kind of crazy weather here the last couple of days. Rain, wind, all that uh, not fun stuff. Uh, But a lot of intriguing stuff going on still with the Washington Commanders in what's already been a very busy, impactful week. Uh, firing the decision to let go of Ron Rivera. Josh Harris and his group have been very active with regards to the front office search to the point that they have now cut the list down to two. They interviewed five candidates. The list is down to two. Adam Peters, assistant GM with the San Francisco 49ers, and Ian Cunningham, assistant GM to the Chicago Bears. Uh, sources confirmed to that to. The Athletic, that that is indeed where this team is at right now. And um, they've even made, they even had their first virtual coach interview. Uh, So we'll get to all that here in a moment on the Standard Room Only podcast. Uh, Our guest today, Daniel Popper, who covers the LA Chargers for The Athletic. And if you're wondering, uh, what are we doing here? Why are we talking to the Chargers guy? Well, a couple reasons. One. They are Chargers are one of the you know teams that also like Washington is looking for a new GM essentially and a coach. Furthermore, there's been this sort of debate we've all been having with each other about what's going to happen with Lions' offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. What's a better deal for him? Could he go to Washington, which you know the blank slate situation we've discussed? Or the Chargers, when you have Justin Herbert, what's the better deal? Also, what do we think about these various candidates, Peters, Cunningham, uh, the, the Belichick rumors, Jim Harbaugh, what do we think? So I asked Dan, Daniel to come on, and we went through um, scenarios for both teams and, and sort of the lay of the land and just talked about the process. So a fun conversation, insightful one that I'll get to in a few moments. Make sure, of course, you check, if you haven't heard them already, I had podcast this week with Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan on the day that Ron Rivera was let go and Josh Harris spoke with the media. And then Nikki Jabvala uh, from the Washington Post joined me as well to start digging into kind of where things go from here. So make sure to check out those podcasts wherever you do your podcasting. And I also wrote about uh, some of the uh, news of the day on The Athletic with uh my colleague David Aldridge, so check that out as well, as in addition to the story I had kind of breaking down the Ron Rivera era um, for The Athletic. Um, all right, so let's get to a couple of things. So as I mentioned, Adam Peters, Ian Cunningham, the final two. Now, they did interview uh, three other assistant GMs, Eagles, Alec Hallaby, Chiefs, Mike Borgonzi, uh, and uh, the Browns, Glenn Cook. They also, as far as we know, have asked to speak with Dallas uh, VP of Player Personnel, Will McClay. There's no sense yet, though, whether that meeting was go- is or will happen. So I guess if there's a world where he says he will meet with them, that 
a two-person race could become a three-person race, but I didn't include Will McClay in my original um, list of candidates, in part because it's just the, the feeling around the league is typically he's just not leaving Dallas. Jerry Jones takes care of him. They're fans. He basically runs their front office, even though Jerry Jones has the GM title. So we're putting him aside, um, and obviously the team is moving forward with these two candidates. And I've written about both of them a bit. If you go, if you go look for my article uh, about the twelve GM candidates, you'll see them both listed one two in that story. I'm not going to pretend I'm unique in that regard. Uh, that's the way most of these lists are. Um, both very interesting candidates. Both have interviewed for jobs previously. Uh, uh, Peters was mentioned a lot in my agent survey about uh, talent, excellent talent evaluators and GMs to watch. Cunningham was offered the Arizona GM job last year, turned it down. But what's so interesting about this to me is, I mean, just in short order here, we have come uh, to see this team go so far from the Dan Snyder era. Now, it didn't know it felt like that back in training camp, right? Where fans came out, you guys were there. Many, many of you on whatever days uh, fans could come out. And, you know, we're there to support the team. To, to be proud to be a, a Washington fan. The season may not have always felt in, in that regard, especially after the losses started to pile up, right? We all, we all kind of get that. But as I said, when, when Rivera was let go, that this was really the start of the Josh Harris era. And the fact that they're able to even just get meetings with the, the people who are viewed as sort of the top candidates in the given cycle says a lot about how far this can go. You know, one, one thing that, that hampered Ron Rivera throughout was an inability to always get who he wanted for various positions, um, players mostly, but also maybe even on, on the staff because of the Dan Snyder tax. You know, people didn't want to necessarily come work for this organization, and that became even more complicated as more time went on, um, and it became clear that Rivera was probably going to be let go, but then combined with the Snyder part, it was really a... Uh, a tough challenge. And if in fact they choose one of the two and they, ex- the, the candidate accepts the offer, you know, like I said, that's just wild compared to where things have been. Now, of course, none of that means they're going to have success. And I always like to note that, you know, for all the Dan Snyder negatives, he was able to get a lot of notable coaches here. Marty Schottenheimer, Steve Spurrier, uh, Joe Gibbs, part 2.0, Mike Shanahan, you know, Jay Gruden wasn't at the at the you know, sort of championship level of those coaches, but he was one of the hot candidates the year he was given the job. And, and Ron Rivera as well, in terms of like, you know, he had been to a Super Bowl, he was going to get other interviews. So it's not like they didn't before. Money does a lot. <laughs> Money and, and, and giving uh, power at times does a lot. I will see what the end results here are in terms of contracts and power and things like that. But just getting these interviews, and not just these two, the other candidates as well are also like uh, you know among the more uh, highly considered options this cycle. So it says something a lot about uh, the change in ownership and what people at least seem to think about the Josh Harris group. Now, um, the way these meetings work, from my understanding, is um, they met with three different people 
down in Miami at Josh Harris's home. They've met first with former Vikings assistant, or sorry, former Vikings GM Rick Spielman, and they worked, and then later they met with Harris and Bob Myers, of course, the former Golden State Warriors GM who just joined uh, the, the organization as a consultant for Harris for this uh, for this search and and beyond. Spielman is here for the search. Now, beyond that, uh, oh, and so it, so now there's going to be a second interview, I should say, with Cunningham and with Peters. Um, the expectation is that it will include. Um, the other members of the group, of the advisory group, Magic Johnson, Mitch Rails, and David Blitz are all limited partners with the team. So we will see where this goes. Now, if you make me handicap this, I've been talking to you for a while about how it feels that Adam Peters is um, feels like he's the front runner. Certainly, you know, I, there's been enough conversation about it to make me think it's accurate, especially since, as as I said before, he's the guy that a lot of teams have been really interested in. So um, I, I don't dis- discount Cunningham's chances. I don't know how the interview went. He's obviously, again, impressive enough. He's already been offered a GM job. So we'll see how it goes. If I had to guess, I think, I feel, like I said, it feels like Peters, it's, um, you know, ha- has Peters in the lead, but we will see where that goes. And then, you know, it's a, it's a, it's off to the races from there in terms of the head coach candidates. And speaking of that, the commanders had a virtual meeting today with one of them, Ravens uh, associate head coach slash defensive line coach Anthony Weaver, according to sources. Um, can't say I know a ton about him, but obviously the Ravens, their defense this year has been lights out. Um, you know, anybody coming from that organization right now feels like it's you give them an automatic stamp of approval. So I'm impressed with, um, you know, their candidates so far have been the ones you would expect to see. So, you know, kudos um, to, to them for, for, for that. Um, now, I don't, the, here are the rules, and I, I'm going to read from a tweet from our pal, Nikki Jabala, who was here uh, this week. Uh, she, she tweeted earlier, for candidates in the playoffs, only those with a wild card buy can interview virtually at this time. Those with the wild card games have to wait until three days after their game. And as I said before, uh, in-person candidates cannot meet until the 22nd or basically after the divisional round. So Weaver could interview because the Ravens have the one seed and a bye. Gives Washington a little bit of a head start on that. Eventually, whoever they hire as this front office lead will be part of the group, not the main decider, though, obviously, they're going to have a significant influence, you would think, but uh, they will still be a, a decision by the group, Harris, and others. So um, so that's where things are at right now with Washington. This thing is moving very fast. Uh, you know, my, my original guess was seven to ten days from the point that Harris let Rivera go. Um, I think we're well on track for that. Obviously, uh, you know, I, I imagine the league is probably tell, tells teams, hey, I don't want you to do, don't do any league business during the playoffs. Let the games breathe. So, you know, whatever is going to happen presumably will not happen until next week. I don't know when the second interview is 
will be taking place, but they will be taking place. So really interesting times. And as I said, uh, Daniel and I spoke more about these two, uh, Cunningham and Peters, along with a bunch of other, a bunch of coaching candidates as well. Um, all right, let's uh, get just, in fact, let's just go right to that interview. Um, and then after that, I'll make some picks on these playoff games. Uh, I will advise you to not uh, follow my picks. They have not been great this year. But nonetheless, I'm going to do them because that's what we do. So here we go. My conversation with Chargers insider Daniel Popper talking about, if among other topics, if Lions OC Ben Johnson has a choice. Should he pick the Commanders or should he pick the Chargers? We lay out the reasons why and why not, and a lot more here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, as promised, joining me here on the podcast, another guy who is in GM coach search mode as well, Daniel Popper, my colleague at The Athletic, covers the Chargers. Uh, you know, we kind of knew in Washington Ron Rivera was going to be gone, but but your place was like, nah, we're not even waiting until the end of the year. We're, we're just dumping uh, Brandon Staley uh, with like a month or so uh, – to go this is has we just been in coach gm mode pretty much since yeah yeah i mean it's it was i, I you know heading into the season i had a good feeling that if things did not go well and they didn't win as in like win a playoff game and make a real push for the super bowl that this is probably going to be the end of brandon staley's tenure and also of general manager tom telesco i don't think ownership wanted to make them wanted to make either of those moves until you know, after the season, that's how they've always operated. They hadn't done an in-season move since 1998 when Kevin Gilbride was the coach. Um, they typically like to, you know, finish the season out and, you know, have a full sample size and then sort of take their time and really go through things and um, digest what happened. And then, and then, you know, make a decision after they've sort of done that process to avoid any sort of knee-jerk reactions. But it got to a point where, that Thursday night game in Vegas, national television, your biggest rival, you're down 63 to seven. You know, it, it's very clear that that the team had had sort of given up on on Brandon Staley at that point. And, and I think ownership sort of looked at it and said, like, what are we really gaining out of letting, you know, both of these guys finish it out? We're better off, you know, making the move and and getting sort of a three week head start as far as getting their strategy together as how as far as how they want to approach the the GM and and coach searches. So, yeah, since then, it's sort of been, um, you know, figuring out, you know, what sort of traits they're going to be looking for, how they're going to set up the power structure, who the candidates are. Um, you know, we talked to president of football operations, John Spanos, you know, a couple of days after the firings and, and, you know, now obviously everything is, is heating up as you are very much aware of. Yeah. I mean, there's been some crazy scores this year, 63 to seven. I mean, and I know they, they, they made it 21, but like, I, that's just insane. I thought the, you know, the Miami Denver game, obviously with, with them scoring 70, um, yeah. Washington's had more traditional blowouts. They lost 45, 10 to Dallas. And yeah. then the next week lost 45, 15 to Miami. But that, let's see, those are cupcakes compared to 63 yeah. to seven. My Lord, when you add in that the, you know, the Ravens put up 56 with the likely MVP as their quarterback. The, the Raiders did it with Aiden O'Connell, uh, a rookie. Um, yeah, I mean, it was 42 to nothing at halftime, you know, that had only happened twice since 2000. It was, I mean, it was embarrassing. It was it was tough to watch, frankly, like to be there. Like, obviously, you're objective and you're not you're not really like, um, you know, rooting for anything. But to sit there and watch a team just get crushed in that fashion, um, it, it was it was difficult to watch. And um, obviously, you know, ownership was embarrassed enough where they felt like it, it had to happen at that point. I think with Brandon Staley, it was more of a like an acute thing 
where, you know, things really unraveled this year. The defense did not get to the place that they expected it to be. Um, despite having the quarterback and the talent, you know, they were still losing a lot of these close games. Um, for general manager Tom Telesco, I think it was more of a body of work, right? 11 seasons, only two playoff wins. I still think Tom Telesco is a good talent evaluator. Um, but, you know, when you've gone that long and you haven't produced results, that's just sort of the nature of the business. So I look at him a little bit separately, but obviously, you know, that Raiders game and how badly it went was was you know, obviously the, the tipping point, the straw that, that broke the camel's back. Yeah, for sure. Um, I definitely want to come back to the coach's part and discuss uh, which one of us gets Ben Johnson or not. Um, but just to stay on the, on the executive front, because today, obviously Washington made some news, getting it down to two candidates in Adam Peters and Ian Cunningham. Um, and I know you've been studying this and, you know, I, when I was putting, I'd been putting together lists for a while. And, but when I see, you know, I'm always like, hey, who am I forgetting? What's good buzz. So I, I pulled up, your list at one point that you had up on the site and like, like like me and most everybody else, those are the two names that are pretty much at the top of every list. And it sounds like Cunningham, if it doesn't work out here, perhaps is in play at your place. What, what's been your sense from what you've studied, people you've talked to, whatever, what's your sense of Cunningham? Why is he such an interesting uh, candidate? Yeah. I think whenever you're looking at GMs, you're sort of looking at like, where did they come up? You know, how, where did they learn the business and then sort of what's their background as far as organizations that they've worked in? The Ravens are, in my opinion, like the class of the NFL and have been a long time. Obviously, Ozzie Newsom's been there forever, you know, not GM any longer, but still in the building and, and, you know, has groomed a lot of these candidates. So you look at Ian Cunningham, you know, spent nine seasons as a Ravens scout and then went on to the Eagles, another great you know, operation mostly under Harry Roseman, obviously been able to build really good rosters there, very forward thinking. And so I, I think that's really what's made him most attractive. This cycle is just that that sort of background. Um, you know, as far as the Chargers, the reason I think he's sort of interesting um, for this job is like, let's say the Chargers do go out and, and get Jim Harbaugh. That's the name that obviously has been thrown out a lot. You know, you hear, you hear it privately, you hear it publicly. He has a connection to the organization because he played there his final two seasons in the league in 1999 and 2000. He got his head coaching start at UCSD, University of California, San Diego. Um, and so, uh, you know, on top of that, a proven winner, success in the NFL, just coming off a national championship with with Michigan. You know, obviously, like it's no secret that he wants to get back to the NFL and that, you know, the la last box to check is sort of winning the Super Bowl after what he did at Michigan this year. So you, you sort of start thinking, OK, like if you do hire Jim Harbaugh for the Chargers, who do you pair him with? Because that's the real key as far as making sure this works, because it was working in San Francisco. And that very public falling out with Trent Baalke there is what ultimately, you know, expedited, you know, the end of his NFL tenure and ultimately the start of his tenure at Michigan. So you have to find somebody that you feel like he can work with. Um, and, you know, the one thing that I keep hearing is that. Um, you know, among NFL circles, like the place to look is Baltimore and people that have a background in Baltimore, obviously, you know, the success of the organization, but obviously his brother coaches there. And that's where a lot of his relationships lie, his good relationships, the people that he's willing to work with. And so Ian Cunningham, having spent nine seasons there starting in 2008, which is the first year John Harbaugh was there. I think that connection makes a lot of sense. So you have the background that you're looking for. And then also if you do, if the charges do go, uh, in the direction of Jim Harbaugh as head coach, you could potentially pair those two up and they have some sort of rapport, you know, because of that Baltimore connection. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, you know, we, we were discussing a little before, but, you know, when people mention Harbaugh as a candidate here, um, you know, it, I just don't see it where he's going to be. We just finished this coach centric model with Ron Rivera. 
did not work out for a variety of reasons. You would almost have to do it again if Jim Harbaugh. I would, can't imagine he's like you know he's willing to say fine. Somebody else can uh, pick the groceries or whatever Parcel said. Um, right. Do you think do you get the sense that the owners that's what they want? Because we've it's been made clear that they do want to separate the positions after what happened. Do you you do have to consider exceptions though? And Harbaugh might be one of those guys. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I I get the sense that ownership does not like the model of the head coach. You know, serving two roles being head coach and general manager. Like, I don't think that they believe there are a lot of candidates out there that can do what, for example, Bill Belichick did in New England. And even then, like people argue, like how well did that work over the last, you know, six, seven years? I think he was, he's, I think he's still a good football coach, but I think the personnel side is always what was an issue. It's a lot of responsibility to put on one person. And so I think um, you could end up with a situation maybe closer to what San Francisco has with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, where, where John Lynch is, you know, obviously running the personnel department, but then you sort of have like a right of first refusal, you know, final say type thing with Kyle Shanahan, where, you know, that type of power structure might work. But I I don't see it as a situation where they would hire a coach and give him two titles and allow him to, you know, be the driving force in the personnel department while also being the head coach. I think they believe that's way too much responsibility for one person. You brought up Ron Rivera, and I wanted to touch on this, which is interesting. Like, I think that you juxtaposed Washington, to what the chart where the charges are at like Washington's coming off of okay they they did hire a retread coach they did hire a guy with experience who had a lot of success in Carolina and that didn't work and so they might be looking in a, an entirely different direction than the Chargers where they're like okay yeah we need an up and coming guy we need somebody with new ideas we need somebody that maybe will give us a fresh look at things perhaps a coordinator like Ben Johnson in the Chargers case they haven't hired a retread coach with experience since Norv Turner you know, they hired Mike McCoy, who was a coordinator. They hired Anthony Lynn, who had one game as interim coach, was really a coordinator. And then they hired Brandon Staley, who was a coordinator. The best seasons this century for the Chargers have come with coaches with experience. You go back to Marty, Marty, Marty Schottenheimer, who had head coaching experience, and then North Turner. Since then, though, they've gone with young guys. Now, some of that could be like a financial thing where obviously if you go after, you know, up and coming coordinators you don't have to pay the same as you would for somebody with a lot of experience but it feels like the chargers would be trending more towards hey we need experience we need somebody who's been there we need somebody who's a proven winner we need somebody who's going to be able to hold people accountable who's going to have that kind of cachet when as soon as they walk in the building washington meanwhile is probably looking in a different direction because they just did that and it didn't really work out so i think the juxtaposition is kind of interesting there it's funny you know i when you're a fan of a team recovery team, you associate certain other teams with your team because of some prior connections. I never think of the chargers, but you just said North Turner and Marty Schottenheimer who were back to back coaches here. Um, not to mention go. Ron Rivera himself was a coordinator um, with the chargers back in the, back in the day. You, you know, it, it's funny. I, everybody wants the hot coordinator, right? A- everybody wants that because it's new. It's fresh. You don't know. It could be amazing. And I will always like, look, you're asking this person to do a job they don't currently do. You, even if whoever it is, Ben Johnson or anybody, still calls plays, th- they now have these other responsibilities. And uh, in lately, the guy who's in my head, whenever I think of this, is Brandon Staley. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the, uh, as I'm sure you know, and you know, maybe you even wrote some of these things, but there was a lot of praise for Brandon Staley coming out of, of uh, you know, coming away from the Rams about you know this guy's. Um, you know, sees the game in a great way and this, that, and the other. And then obviously, you know, I wrote your story about what went wrong and he just, you know, couldn't translate what he was doing as a coordinator to the coach. And that we'll be having that conversation here in a few weeks. If, I, if they do in fact go down this coordinator route for sure. 
it's just not the same job. Like it's not the same job in any way, shape or form. And, you know, I've, I've kind of, I spent the last three weeks, you talked about sort of like, what's it, what's it been like as far as sort of like, you know, gearing up for the coaching search. And one thing I did was I, I asked a lot of players in the locker room because I'm curious now, because like, I always thought it was like, go get the smartest guy, like go get the smartest guy. And that's going to be your best chance to have a successful head coach. I've changed my approach. And obviously that was not, correct because brand silly is a hyper hyper intelligent human being and it didn't translate and so like my my hypothesis as far as what the most important trait was was wrong so i went around and i asked guys like you, like you guys know what it looks like like you know what it feels like to have a good head coach what is what are the traits and one player brought up an interesting scenario where it's like he kind of said like there's there's the spectrum right between players coach and accountability coach and the best coaches are the ones that can do both that can toe the line that can find that balance um, and if you, but if you don't have like accountability, real accountability, then when things start going wrong, they're going to go really, really wrong. And that's probably what, what happened here. And so like, you know, you, you have to think about the job differently. And I think like, that's the, a mistake that a lot of teams make is like, let's go get the guy that's calling the plays for the best unit in football. Those are the guys that end up getting the opportunities in reality, though, that doesn't translate like and you, you're trying to find leadership. How do you define that? Like, it is very nebulous. Like, how do you define somebody that's going to be a good leader? And I, and I think it's funny because, like, you look at Dan Campbell, right? Who on earth thought that he was going to turn this thing around after his first press conference? Right. Right? Nobody. The kneecap thing. Everyone wrote him off. But that guy obviously is able to lead. Like, he's obviously able to galvanize. And I think one thing is that he does is going back to that spectrum idea, like, he clearly is able to balance that spectrum, right? And hold players accountable while also developing these very real relationships um, with players. And so like that, if I was going into an interview with the head coach, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I'm not talking about, you know, show me your scheme, you know, show me what worked as a play caller. Like, I'm not focusing on any of that stuff. It's important, but like good leaders can find people to do that. There are plenty of very smart coaches that can coach X's and O's and lead a good unit. There are very few coaches that can lead and find that balance between, you know, accountability and then being that like, you know, that having that rapport with, with the players. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, we'll, again, we'll talk about Ben Johnson in a second and, you know, who knows, he may be the next uh, Bill Walsh. What, what do I know? But the idea that everybody's wants him because of what he's done with the lions, I'm like, okay, but, has he led a locker room? Has he had to deal with all the responsibilities that come with a head coach? Um, you know, I'm sure he has to make some quick decisions late in games, but it's still different when you're the guy who's got final say on, on on all of these things. I mean, who knows how how you react? And yeah, I mean, again, we mentioned North Turner when Washington hired him back in the day. He was just coming off the Super Bowls with Dallas, where he's the offensive coordinator for Troy and Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, and Michael Irvin, and then he gets here and. You know, I'm not saying he was like the worst coach ever, and he I think he had more success ultimately with the Chargers, but you could kind of just tell he was not a leader of men in the way we think about it. You don't have to be some alpha like like Dan Campbell is or Bill Cower, but at the same point, like, you know, it just didn't feel like it was a great fit, but obviously he's a tremendous coordinator. And, and you know, then I also think about like John Harbaugh. Like he was a special teams coach, and typically that's not a spot that people target, but Obviously, he's a unique case in that he came from this football family, and clearly, clearly the DNA there um, worked out pretty well for everybody involved. But yeah, it, it, the leadership component cannot be 
ignored, even if you're like, I got to fix this offense. Like, there is more than just that. It is the tone and tenor of the team, how you go about your business, people be on their P's and Q's and everything. And it, it can be it can be tricky um, for sure. Um, before I go to the coaches, Adam Peters, is that has that been a name at all for you? Or yeah, since you're yeah, they, they they requested an interview with him. So that that'll happen at some point. Um, I think this week Matt Barrows reported that it was supposed to be our, our 49ers writer, so it was supposed to be sometime this week. I think it's a consideration. Um, you know, again though, like if it's Harbaugh, right? Like I think that's like that's kind of how I'm framing every like when I'm looking at every candidate, like if it's Harbaugh. Would it work? Right. I don't think they're married to it. Like, I think they are really running these two searches concurrently. You know, they just did an interview today with Brandon Brown, the assistant GM for the Giants. And so, like, I think he's going to be a real consideration. The question is, could they pair him with Harbaugh? Like, would that work? They didn't cross paths in San Francisco, but they obviously know a lot of the same people. Um, You know, I think, you know, Adam Peters was sort of in line to, you know, get a promotion to GM in San Francisco with John Lynch getting you know, promoted to more of like a VP director of personnel role. Um, but, you know, Matt Barrows wrote a story today that, you know, Lynch is still really going to be running things. So even if Peters gets a promotion, he's not going to have real control over the personnel department. So, you know, the Chargers job could be appealing in that sense. Um, obviously, like what San Francisco has done as far as building a roster, um, there are not many teams in the league that that compare to them. I think like the Ravens are, you know, an example, the Eagles maybe, but like outside of that, there aren't a whole lot of teams. So, um you know, I, I think definitely, definitely a consideration. They'll do an interview with him and and we'll sort of see, you know, how the Harbaugh thing shakes out and if those two would actually be um a legitimate pairing. All right. Fair enough. All right, let's let's go to the to the coaches. You know, again, because Washington has been pretty obvious they were gonna make a change for a while. Then the Chargers before the season ended got in the mix. Um you know, the, the Raiders did some of that as well, but their situation was, you know, their interims have done really well. So people have I mean, obviously they think about it, but it feels like they could just they, they may already have their answers um in the building. So the, the the big name this coaching cycle, at least before Bill Belichick officially entered the picture today, was is uh, Ben Johnson, the OC with the Lions. And every team is gonna be associated with him, but it has felt to me like it's been a Washington or Chargers situation. Uh Washington because it's kind of this blank slate and the Chargers because Justin Herbert is pretty good and a guy that people would want to develop, uh, have somebody, you know, help and, and, and work with. Um, give me your sales pitch. If, if you're talking to Ben Johnson, why the Chargers, not why not, but what, why is the Chargers? Do you think, you know, saying, why is it the best situation for a guy like him? If he's really looking to, to make a move? Yeah. I mean, you have to start with Justin Herbert. Like I think, I think having Justin Herbert already signed to a long-term deal, like he signed through his age 31 season through 2029. Like, you know, that guy's going to be here and you know, he's good enough to win a Super Bowl. And like that, you have that leg up over, you know, everybody else that has a coaching opening. I think you start there, but you can sort of move down the list, right? Like you talk about the building blocks that the Chargers really have. They got Justin Herbert. They have a franchise left tackle and Rashawn Slater, who when healthy is a top five tackle in the league. He's he's um, extension eligible this offseason. But so those you talk about like the two most important pieces on an offense. You have those two on the other side of the ball. You have Tuli Tupelotu, who's one of the best rookies in the league this year. I think he's going to be like an ace edge rusher, like, you know, top 10, 15 type guy in the league. You know, he showed signs of that this year. I think he sort of, you know, hit the rookie wall 
which is which is normal. Um, his pressure rate was about five percent higher, you know, before like week eleven. You know, Joey Bosa getting hurt kind of impacted that too because he kind of had to move into a, a number two role. I think he's ready to be that number one guy. Um, and so you talk about like those are those are like th th the three guys that that's your pitch as far as building blocks. And you're talking about you know the three most important positions. You, you, they don't have a corner. They have Asante Samuel Jr., who's I think more of a number two. You know, he's he's plays like his dad. Like he's a he goes and gets the football, but he's prone to some some mistakes. He's not a great tackler. Um, so yeah, you you have three building blocks there at very very important positions. But you start with Justin Herbert, right? Like I think the opportunity to come in and cultivate a good offense. That opportunity, um, the quickest way to do that is with the Chargers versus anywhere else because because you have the quarterback and and that would be, you know, my pitch to Ben Johnson. What I will say is like, I know there's going to be interest there. Like I sort of, kind of I kind of like tiered the candidates um, and Ben Johnson would be in, in the tier one candidates for the chargers. I think it's Harbaugh. I think it's Dan Quinn. I think it's Ben Johnson. Um, I think it's Belichick. I would throw a variable in there now, even though it seems like a done deal that he's going to new England. Um, and then even Pete Carroll. So like, that's kind of what I'm looking at tier one. But as far as guys without co head coaching experience, he's the only guy that I would put in tier one. And I think you can go back to the Chargers Lions game in week 10, where Ben Johnson dropped 41 points on Brandon Staley's defense. And the way he did it was really important. Like, I don't think it was just the fact that he put up that number. He was just very clearly one step ahead of Brandon Staley. I mean, he ran a successful run on third and five for a conversion. Like every time Brandon Staley tried to do something schematically, Ben Johnson was one step ahead and he just had his way. And I think uh, that definitely opened some eyes because Chargers ownership was at that game at SoFi as far as like what he's capable of as an offensive play caller. So um, there's interest there. And I think the pitch obviously starts with Justin Herbert and then secondarily having, you know, a franchise left tackle with a ton of upside um, is, is another intriguing thing for any, any offensive coach. Well, I mean, from the positive standpoint, we'll get to the negatives for both teams in a second. You know, it is a fascinating uh, uh, look between what the Chargers have and Washington have. From a building blocks perspective, they don't have any of the things that you just said. No quarterback. Offensive line needs big repairs. They have two defensive tackles who have been good, but no pass rusher. And the two defensive tackles are coming off down years for them. No cornerback. They need all the core positions you can possibly have. But they have the number two pick, $90 million in cap space, give or take. Uh, they have not just the number two pick. They have nine picks total, five in the top 100, uh, and a new owner who isn't Dan Snyder. So the mo just just momentum for, for, from that. One. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. So it's, okay. it's such an incredible blank slate versus, hey, we got these pieces already. Now it's just a matter of making it to another level. Um, obviously, you're more familiar with the Chargers. But just based on that – if you're looking at this as an executive, which one do you think is more interesting? The, 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 some of the key building blocks already in place, or like I said, this kind of blank slate, you can kind of jump in and do whatever you want. Yeah. If I'm an executive, I'm I'm going to the spot that has the quarterback and has the deal done. Like that's, I think that's like a big part of it. Like it's not like, you know, you're pay, you're going to pay market rate. It's like, it, it kind of is what it is, but I think like, that's really attractive. Like, I've I've watched every game Justin Herbert has played. I know he had a down season. He broke his finger in week three. He didn't finish the season because he broke his right index finger. The guy's incredible. Like he is good enough to win a Super Bowl and he can lead you there, you know, and he can be that type of guy. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about him, you know, clutch late in games. I think a lot of that is overstated. If you look at like, you know, the full body of work and the full sample size, like his rate is, you know, more middle of the pack than, you know, I think how people sort of view him as like not coming up in these moments. And some of it too this year was like 
protection breakdowns, you know, where, you know, they're getting beat schematically, you know, with pressure looks late in games. So I put more of that on Kellen Moore than I do, you know, on Justin Herbert. So like, you know, to me, like a, a franchise that has that guy that has a stud quarterback, like that's got to be most attractive for a coach. That's got to be most attractive for a GM. And then the icing on the cake is that he's signed long-term. You don't have to, you know, negotiate that contract. Now it does like, I guess in a sense, hamstring you, right? Because you do have to be more creative as far as how you build the roster. And so like, that is a point to make, right? Like if you are an executive, do you want the guy, do you want to start with the quarterback that's already on the long-term market rate deal? Or would you rather, you know, take your chance on a rookie that you can have on a rookie deal? You know, Justin Herbert is good. Proven product. Right. You know, what are the chances that, you know, Drake May, Jane Daniels ends up being as good as Justin Herbert? You know, I think we've seen in the history of the league that, you know, drafting quarterbacks high is a complete crapshoot. But, you know, a lot of these executives believe in themselves and maybe they look at it and say, hey, I know I'm going to be able to get the quarterback and I'd rather have the guy on the rookie deal. For me personally, I'm I, I, I just have seen what Justin Herbert has done. I know he's good enough. He signed long term. That's where I'm going if I'm an executive and then find a way to build around him. I forgot to mention when I said connections between the two organizations, a lot of lamenting here the past three plus years that Washington took Chase Young instead of taking Justin Herbert or to, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I, whatever, that's a whole other strata. I, I give Washington a minor pass because they just drafted Dwayne Haskins and Dan Snyder wanted him and all that. But yes, yet another I think connection. That's a fine process, though. Like, I think, like, at number two, like, you know, taking a, an edge rusher that you believe is going to be a really good player. And like, le like, listen, nobody thought Chase Young was, was not going to pan out into at least like a really quality edge rusher. You right. know, obviously injuries were a factor. So like, I'm okay with that process. Like as long as you're prioritizing positional value and you're taking, you know, corner edge receiver, something like that, where you, you feel like that guy can make a difference. Like I'm okay. I'm okay with that process. And you know, Justin Herbert wasn't even the second quarterback taken. So. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's uh, yeah, again, uh, we we've talked about it a ton over the years, and I always said like, in, for a variety of reasons, I give them a pass. Partly because we just said that Chase Young was viewed as you know a legit you know potential star, let alone at least a, a solid, a pretty good player. And for a variety of reasons, it didn't work out. Um, all right, but let's go back to this sort of comparison. So I already mentioned Washington's big issue is the roster is kind of bare. So you're kind of am starting from ground zero. Um. The Chargers, you mentioned Herbert's money. It seems like the the issue that people are talking about is the salary cap, that there's a lot of money invested in just a few players. How detrimental is that? Is that really an issue? And how would that, if you're, again, like a Ben Johnson coming in, how, does it, how do you think that affects somebody trying to decide, you know, where they'd want to go? Yeah. So I don't want to give away too much here because I'm doing like a whole breakdown of how I would approach the cap situation for Tuesday next week. But I'll, I'll give sort of like a surface level um, sort of breakdown of what's going on. So last offseason, they restructured four contracts. Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. They pushed a ton of money into 2024. Uh, Mack, Allen, Williams, all entering the last year of their deals. They all have cap hits of at least $32 million. The four of them together will have cap hits, a collective cap hit of you know $142.4 million. The, the total cap is projected at $242 million, according to Over the Caps. So you're talking about four players taking up well over 50% of your total cap. That's not tenable. So like it, it is in the NBA, not in the NFL. No. So all four of those guys are not going to be here next year. So, but it's not like a, like a, you know, a death sentence, you know, I think like a smart savvy exec will be able to come in, look at this and say, okay, like we need to tear this thing down. We need to take our lumps next season as far as dead money. And then we'll be free to sort of build this thing. As long as we have a quality draft class of 2024 to sort of build this thing, 
you know, the way we want to heading into 2025. And you add in that they have the fifth overall pick. And so, you know, how they go about that, I think different executives would look at it differently. You know, my sense is that ownership wants to, you know, rip the bandaid off. I think that is the smartest approach. And I'll dive into that in the story that I'm going to on Tuesday. Um, but you also have the option to extend, right? Like you can cut and trade to, to save cap space. You can also extend to save cap space. So how does the future GM or head coach, if that's the person making the decision, feel about Keenan Allen and potentially extending him? Keenan was on pace for hit the best season of his career this year. Still ended up one of the best seasons of his career, even though he missed the final four games. Set the single season catch record for the Chargers this season. He's obviously got good football left. You know, I think I would pivot to building more team speed in the receiver room because that's what they've been missing. You know, when you have a top two tandem of Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, like you are lacking speed, like speed that will really threaten the defense. And that's come up a lot in terms of how the Chargers have played. Um, so you could extend him. I, Khalil Mack is coming off, you know, one of, if not the best seasons of his career. Um, 17 sacks, obviously, but he was tremendous against the run this year. You could also extend him. Um, but I think the best way to go about it is get as much value on the trade market as you can for Keenan, get as much value on the trade market as you can for Khalil, um, cut Mike Williams just cause he's coming off an ACL and you're probably not gonna be able to find, um, a trade partner there. And then, you know, and I would shop Joey Bosa as well. And, and if you can get out of all four of those contracts, you know, you're talking about probably anywhere from 50 to $70 million in dead money, not ideal you're wasting effectively the age 26 season of Justin Herbert. You know, I still think they'll probably be competitive just because the quarterback's really good, but you sort of take your lumps in 24, you have the fifth overall pick. Maybe you bring in a Malik neighbors and add some juice to that receiver room. And then you can really get this thing rolling in 2025. So like, I don't think it's debilitating. You know, I think the moves that they made last off season was always going to lead to this. Like they either had to like, you know, pay the piper last year and move on from one of these guys um, or give it one more run with the current iteration of the roster and then really take your lumps in, in 2024. And that's to me what this offseason is going to be about. Like if anyone, like if a GM comes into an, an interview, if I was ownership and they came in and they were talking about, you know, finding ways to like keep this, you know, nucleus together and keep Mac and Allen and Williams and Bosa, I would end the interview right there. I'd be like, no, we need somebody who's thinking, you know, two, three years down the road of how we rebuild this thing. And then in year two of the new regime really have a chance to contend. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on the, uh, at some point you gotta, you gotta pay the piper and you gotta decide strategically when's the best time to do it for what you're trying to accomplish right. uh, going forward. Uh, I don't know if this is the speed that you're talking about, but Marvin Harrison jr. Is obviously considered the best receiver in this draft, probably a top four pick. If you're saying the chargers hypothetically, move on from say Williams and could use a more uh more dynamic receivers or any world they would say hit to Washington perhaps hey we're willing to move up from five to two and give you some stuff because Marvin Harrison is a generational talent that you know one of the best receiver in the last prospect in the last decade or so does that uh, move the needle for you at all yeah yeah I didn't throw him out there because I'm I'm sort of operating under the premise that you know they'll sit at five and take whoever's there because I would think the Cardinals at four would would take him right that seems well, that's to be a question you know like some people think it could be four quarterbacks in the top four I've who's heard the fourth quarterback times. uh Penix or or jj mccarthy at four you know I, i'm not i'm not saying that's going to happen but like right. you know a lot of it depends on what the cardinals think about uh kyler murray right like is he the is he the dude or do they feel like they need to to reset their quarterback wise or does somebody trade in there you know like 
I would be, I would be surprised. Now, again, like I'm saying this and I have no idea who's going to be making the decisions, right? Like, so a lot of that depends on who they hire and who's making these decisions, right? I would be surprised. I think there, there's going to be a really, really good player there at five, whether it's, you know, one of these tackles or one of these receivers. So like, I would be surprised, but then again, like they go hire somebody that has a track record of being super aggressive. Like that changes obviously the conversation. That's funny saying it a lot depends on who's going to be there, who's, who's going to run the, the team. I Now I know what it feels like to be on the other end of that asking the question because I get it all the time. I'm like, I, I don't know who's running the team. How, how, am I going to, how am I going to address what they might want at quarterback or anything along those lines until I know that? Um, all right, let's get to uh, – so I guess at this point with regards to Ben Johnson, you for you guys, you, you're, does it feel like Harbaugh is the leading candidate, but Johnson is one B to the one A. Is that ultimately how you would see it right yeah, now? I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to go there and say that Harbaugh is like the leading candidate. I think they're interested in Harbaugh. I think the Raiders are in play for him too, right? That's the other one. Yeah. And, and Harbaugh got his coaching start as, you know, quarterbacks coach for the Raiders in 2002 after he finished his, his playing career. So the way I'm framing it is like, I think there is a tier one of candidates and I don't think anybody has distanced themselves within that, that first tier. Um, you know, the guys I threw out, right? Like uh, Harbaugh, Ben Johnson, Dan Quinn. I throw Belichick in there and I, and I throw Vrabel in there. Like if I was running the show, that's probably the guy that I would go for. Now, you know, there was a lot of speculation that this was all in the works, you know, two, two and a half weeks ago, right? That Vrabel was going to be out in Tennessee. Belichick was going to be out in New England. Vrabel was going to go to New England. Like I've, I've been hearing that, you know, for a while. I don't know about you, but like that's, I wasn't necessarily surprised to see that all go down. And so like, I would make a run at Vrabel. But I think like I would be really surprised if he doesn't end up in New England. But I would throw like those guys. And I think the fascinating part about this cycle is like, and I don't know, you've been covering the league longer than I have. Like, I don't know. I can't remember a coaching cycle where there's this many qualified candidates with with experience and success at the NFL level. Like, I just can't remember a situation where there are this many guys. Now, some of them are older. You're talking about 270 plus guys and Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick. But like you throw out some of these names and it's like these are guys with proven track records of winning. And then you also bring Jim Harbaugh into the mix. Right. And so, you know, it's interesting because that's where I feel like the Chargers are are headed. Right. Like, I think they want experience. I think they want someone with a proven track record. I think they want somebody who's going to walk into the locker room and have that respect from day one, not have to earn anything because of what they've done in the league. Right. I always thought Dan Quinn, that's why I have him in tier one. You know, obviously not like a super sick, not as much success as these other guys, but he took a team to the Super Bowl and he's done a great job in Dallas with that defense. Um, but again, like the speculation was out there that Pete Carroll was, you know, might retire or whatever in Seattle. And that if that happened, that Dan Quinn was probably heading there. So do the Chargers really have a chance in there? But so like that's sort of how I would prefer to frame it is I think there's like a tier one group that the Chargers would aggressively pursue and just as importantly pay for, you know, financially. And then after that, I think. Um, you have a ton of guys that are sort of in the mix if they do miss out on on some of those tier one guys, you know, Steve Wilkes, Todd Monken, you know, Frank Smith, you can sort of Frank Smith, a former um, Chargers coach, you know, I think a lot of those guys are in the mix. But what, like, again, like, I think you can sort of sort through those candidates and be like, right, who has experience? You know, Wilkes is an interesting guy to me. Um, only got one year in Arizona, but obviously a lot of good things, you know, coming out of Carolina when he was the intern there. So I would say tier one and then sort of everybody else. And I wouldn't really like you know, pinpoint like a specific leader in the clubhouse right now, so to say. Yeah. I mean, Belichick is such a wild, uh, such a weird wild card because on the one hand, the recent years have not been, not been good. On the other hand, he's Bill Belichick. Everybody wants to send him here yet. I've been told over, over and over that that's not a thing happening. It doesn't make any sense for where this team is at. 
But if he doesn't go to Atlanta, which seems like the hot play, I don't know where he's going exactly. That makes a ton of sense because obviously, typically, if you're looking for a new coach, you're probably not very good. And his his goal is to break the wins record. And I'm sure he doesn't want to take six years to get there. Um, So uh, that's going to be another wild card. uh, I I think you're right. I don't know. Like the one I think Atlanta is the only one like the other one I was considering about, you know, obviously, like, again, like I was ahead of this three, three weeks to sort of, you know, talk to people and figure out what the landscape was going to look like. I heard the Giants thrown out, um, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem like they're going to be moving on from Dayball at this point. Um, Obviously, there was a like I think there was a lot of murmurs about stuff happening behind the scenes there about, you know, people not getting along, Dayball rubbing people the wrong way. A lot of that stuff's kind of trickling out now with with Wink Martindale resigning and all of that stuff. But it seems like they're going to stick with him. So, you know, Atlanta feels like the the one, um, you know, again, it's it's the same sort of situation when you get these types of candidates, though. It's like, you know, is Belichick going to want personnel control? You know, is he going to want twenty five million dollars a year or is it a situation where he just wants to break Shula's record and, you know, would negotiate all of that, take less money? And give up control to have a chance to coach Justin Herbert and win some ball games. Like that feels like a realistic scenario from the Chargers side, but is it realistic for Belichick? Is he willing to make those kinds of concessions? Right. And it's not like Atlanta has a quarterback, right? I mean, their, their defense is pretty good. They obviously have some playmakers. I'm a quarterback. So, you know, he just went through this the last few years with New England. So who knows if that's even as attractive to him as we're, you know, sort of the public at large kind of making it out to be. Um, all right, you have been rock awesome. I've kept you too long already, and you you live in Southern California. You need to be outside. You need to be going doing things. Uh, Agreed. <laughs> yeah, at Daniel R. Popper on Twitter. Anything else people need to know about? Uh, obviously, you can find you on the Athletic. Anything yeah. else? Yep, find me on the Athletic uh, next week. Going to be diving into you know my ten step plan for for fixing this roster. So that'll be out on uh, on Tuesday. And yeah, check out my work there. All right, cool. Well, I'll send this audio to um, Ben Johnson and his agent so they know, you know, the pros and cons of, of each situation. I'm sure they haven't thought about these things yet. Uh, you <laughs> rock, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. All right. Um, now, as I said, I'm going uh, to talk a little bit here about the playoffs just because obviously this is what we all like to do, right? Make some predictions. Um, let's go here. Starting in order of the games, Browns, Texans, Browns a two point favorite in Houston. You know, uh, this is Saturday at four thirty p.m. on NBC. Typically, I would be like, "Well, if I'm getting a home team getting some points in the playoffs, and they have a pretty good quarterback, that seems like a way to go." Obviously, C.J. Stroud has had a phenomenal rookie season, and you know the Texans have looked good. Um, the Browns, meanwhile, have an outrageously good defense this year, and Joe Flacco is uh, wildly impressive uh, with what he's done in his incredible comeback over the last uh, month. He's also a guy that has historically thrived in the postseason. I did see that Brown's cornerback Denzel Ward suffered an injury in practice this week, and they lowered him to questionable. If he's off the field, that does take away some of their defensive prowess. And the Flacco thing, it's just like, man, is this going to keep going? I guess I'm going to say that it will. I don't know if I'm predicting a particularly high score this week, but I'm going to say I'll take the Browns. I'll go 20 
to 13 Cleveland over Houston. That's probably too low scoring, but it feels like that kind of game. So I'm going to lean into that. So Browns 20 to 13 over Houston. The night game tomorrow, Dolphins, Chiefs, Chiefs minus four and a half. Uh, apparently there's just insane cold temperatures on tap for Kansas City. We know how across the country right now it has been, the weather has been uh, brutal uh, for so many people. And it looks like Kansas City is going to be hit for sure. There's so many matchups that have rivalry components or there's some, you know, or maybe not rivalry, but there's like an intrigue there. This one, Tyreek Hill facing his old team in his old stadium. You know, Miami has been a juggernaut this year offensively for the most part, but things have uh, cooled off a little bit in part because of injuries, but the defense has really uh, suffered blows, losing their two top pass rushers. They were out signing like random veterans, uh, this week off the street just to give them uh, some more boost. It's not like Kansas City has been flying either offensively. They have been stuck in the mud most of the time for sure. But their defense has been pretty solid. It is at home. The four and a half makes me a little nervous, especially with the weather. If there's if field goals become complicated, then maybe that's a take the points thing. But man, to go from Miami to you know what they're saying could be one of the coldest uh, start time temperatures recorded in NFL history. I, I guess I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Um, the over-under is 43 and a half. Give me Kansas City um, 24-19. Can we do that? 24-19 Chiefs? All right, we'll do that. Uh, Sunday, three games. First up, Steelers at Bills, Buffalo minus 10. Uh, that is a lot of points in a playoff game. The Bills have been hot, though. To, to you know, they were being counted out, you know, earlier in the season, and then they rally back with a strong finish to win the AFC East. Pittsburgh, because this is what Mike Tomlin does. He finds ways to get his team over five hundred, and they found their way into the playoffs. There's the Steelers are always a tough out because they always show up to play. And again, ten points is is a lot here, and there is going to be a weather component in Buffalo as well. I'm probably a little bit, I guess I'm going to go, I'm definitely going to say Buffalo wins. I'll give the points. Again, I feel like this is a, too many points, but I don't know if I'm trusting Mason Rudolph uh, to lead Pittsburgh uh, into uh, to, to keeping up offensively. So give me the Bills 27-13. Josh Allen, you know, I, don't, I feel like he's not getting discussed enough for the MVP. I, I think he's had ultimately a really good year. Sure, there's some definite obvious down moments, some turnovers. He was uh, he was at least second to Sam Howell in interceptions going into the last week of the year. But give me the Bills. Um, you know, they're going to be they'll both both teams will obviously be used to the weather, but they're at home, I think the Bills get it done. Um, all right, uh, the next game: Packers at Cowboys. Cowboys minus seven, you know, kudos to Green Bay. You know, this is the first year without Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, look, obviously, who knows what would have happened for Rodgers and the Jets if Rodgers stays healthy. He only lasted, what, four plays. But, you know, Jordan Love has it looks like they've got a, a quarterback there in Green Bay. You know, this is a team that has had, uh, you know, they've been in the playoffs pretty much every year. You know, under head coach Matt LaFleur, the Cowboys have been a little more up and down, 
but they are very, very good at home. Um, I'm probably going to regret this, but I'm going to take Green Bay and the points, but give me Dallas and the win. Cowboys win 27 to 21. Uh, that's what I got there. Um, next one, Rams Lions. This is another fun one because you have, of course, Matthew Stafford going up against his old team, Jared Goff going up against his old team. The Lions GM Brad Holmes was with the Rams previously, so there's a lot of back and forth here. Uh, look, the Lions have been one of the stories of the NFL season, right? I mean, they're they have come out and been a contender from the start, which is obviously pretty pretty rare territory for a franchise uh, that has just continually been out of the mix, the contender mix for decades, uh, other than a few spot years here and there. And there's a lot of reason to be excited about them. That's why people are enamored with the idea of landing Ben Johnson as the uh, as a new head coach. That said, I do not want to face the Rams right now. The Rams have been crazy hot. I think it's like, what, won six of their last seven games. They finished 10 and seven. And, you know, Stafford, obviously, that he's won a Super Bowl. He's not, I don't see him being intimidated being back in Detroit. Aaron Donald, it's not, he's not had a Superman type year, but he's still, you know, one of the best players in the league. The Rams have the great uh, wide receiver combo from this year with Puka Nakua um, and uh, Cooper Cup. And, uh, you know, their defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, has really worked wonders this year. This is not a particularly overtly talented group, but he has found ways to get them going. And then, of course, Sean McVay, uh, who has, you know, done a really good coaching job this year because this Rams team, you know, after they had to sort of purge the roster from the uh, F them picks teams to, you know, and, and they took some hits this year with the salary cap. I like the Rams. I don't just like them to, to cover getting the three. I like them to just outright win. I, again, I understand it's going to be uh, maybe a little bit nuts, but that's my upset of the weekend. So give me the Rams over the Lions, uh, 31-28. Rams over the Lions, upset there and, uh, you know, in what could be the final game for Ben Johnson with Detroit. Last game on Monday, Eagles at Bucks. This is one of those deals where the team with the better record in Philadelphia is on the road because they're the wild card while the Bucks won the division. The Eagles are favored by three. Wow, have they been a mess of late. They're kind of falling apart, it feels like, all over the place. Um, you know, and it, 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 it does give some pause. Back, back, we go back to look at those two Washington games where uh, the offense, Washington's offense really, you know, hung some points up on the Eagles and both games were down to the wire before the Eagles held on. And, you know, we viewed that at that time as a good sign for Washington when the reality ultimately was the Eagles were just not as close to being a championship level team as they appeared. That said, this is a group that made the Super Bowl last year. You still got a lot of talented players on both sides. There was uh, today uh, AJ Brown mispractice. Jalen Hurts is banged up as well. Um, But Baker Mayfield has been banged up for Tampa uh, on, on that side. So all that said, it's not like I'm feeling pretty confident in Tampa. I think I'm going to have to take the Bucks. Yeah, I'm going to take the Bucks. 
twenty to seventeen. I guess this isn't. I guess I have more than one upset uh, here. The Bucks are. It's at home, and they're you know they're not they they're not playing great, but they're playing better than the Eagles. And I just don't know if I see the Eagles turning this around. At a minimum, I don't see the Eagles, you know, getting too much further than this round. But I'm going to go for the upset straight off the bat. Tampa Bay, twenty. What did I say? Twenty to seventeen over the Eagles. So there you go. Some random picks that you should definitely not follow. I've not been on my game this year, but you know, we're going to play it out and see what happens. Um, all right, that's it for now. Again, we'll be on top of all of the GM and coach search. Uh, moves and announcements and uh, you know keep keep plugged in because this thing could get wrapped up any day I would assume it'll be next week uh, beginning of next week but who knows we'll see what happens for now that is it Ben Standick signing off until next time see ya